Hi there, and welcome to this week's episode of In League with the NRL, where I take a look back on the past seven days of the game that now actually utilises the sin bin. Today I have the usual rundown on the matches played on the weekend and try to keep count of how many of those matches are now decided by how many players are left on the field. This week's talking point can really only focus on one thing, and I asked special guest Steve Holes to enlighten us from a more informed perspective than my own. And finally, a look at the upcoming fixtures for this weekend and whether or not it is even worth me putting my tips in anymore. All of that coming up on Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. And now, here's this week's Talking Point. So this week, for a change, I'm going to go straight into the Talking Point and try and sort out just what constitutes a high or dangerous tackle and what the long-term consequences to the game of Rugby League could be if we indeed continue down the track the game has set out for itself. Now, given my knowledge of this is very limited, to uh, only to what I watch on TV each weekend, I've asked for a more expert opinion in the form of Steve Holes to answer the questions I have been asking myself. Steve is a long-time coach of CHS representative teams and has also been involved in the Junior Rugby League setup of the Cronulla Sharks. So I asked him to come on board and lend us his opinions on where we are at in the high-tackle debate. Welcome to the program, uh... My rugby league expert on this topic, uh, Stephen Hull. Steve, thanks for joining me today. Uh, no worries, Bill. I don't know about the word expert, but um, I'm happy to happy to help you out in any way I can. <laughs> We're all experts in one way, shape, <laughs> or form. Look, uh, obviously, uh, talking about uh, the new rules coming in with uh, head highs and send offs and sin bins and all that kind of stuff. But first thing I wanted to ask you was, up until two weeks ago, what was your understanding of the high tackle rule um what was what was considered a good hard tackle and what would trigger like a penalty or a send-off or a sin bin i think more so the the penalties were for those incidental ones where you you know you made some contact maybe with your shoulder and and, and sort of just clipped them or or you put a lazy arm out that really didn't have an impact on the player i think they were the penalties and the ones they sort of let go they were a bit worried they might put them on report um in terms of send-offs i, I think you really need to be talking about a swinging arm um you know a, a a real nasty looking tackle, usually with the, the fish, fist clenched, if you like. So, you know, there's a real solid connection there around the, the head or the neck. Um, and or, or someone coming in with a shoulder charge and, and or hitting with the shoulder, the point of the shoulder on the on the jaw. That to me was a, you know, worthy of players being sent off. And we didn't see a lot of that. Um, yep. But, you know, obviously we had the incidents with the involving the Chookies and, and Parramatta. And yep. um, we're, we are now where we are. Yeah. So asking you from... I'll use the word expert point of view. Um, what is being coached at a junior or at a senior level as the tackling technique? I think what what's changed over over you know the last decade or so is is that whole idea of trying to slow the play the ball down um, because the you know 
they're athletes now. They're, they're you know, full-time professionals. They're big, they're strong, they're powerful. Um, so the whole idea is to try and, you know, win that win that contest at the, at the play the ball. So you want to, you know, dominate the opposition player, turn them on their back, um, make sure that they're getting up to play the ball slower um, than your defensive line um, is back. So you're set, ready to go. So when you're when you're coaching defence now, it's not so much um, just about the tackling, it's about defending, if you like. So there is a, a, an emphasis of getting there around the ball. Um, one, because you want to wrap the ball up. Um, but two, you also want to win that initial collision. So you're you know, hitting blokes low. Um, you're not going to win that collision because you're always going to end up on the ground behind the player. He's going to be on his front. He's up and he's playing the ball. So in an attempt to try and slow it down, you want to be hitting on the ball, over the ball, and, and that's the real problem. And, and you have a situation where guys don't sink and drive into their tackles as much um, simply because they don't get rewarded for it. Yep. Um, that's the real challenge, for, for the, I think, for the game because the game is so quick now, whether or not, you know, there's a whole heap of things you could look at, but, you know, the 10 metres doesn't help. Um, you know, that makes it tougher. Um, yeah, there's a million and one things I think we could talk about in relation to that. But, yeah, the main <laughs> the main thing is, I think, defensively, you, you really are working with your players to... To, to slow that ruck speed down uh, as best you can. Um, obviously, with the advent of the new rules and the six again, you know, that's that's going to have to change a bit, but you, you then can go too far the other way um, and the game becomes ex- exponentially quicker and there's no ability for defensive teams to, to contain attacks. Yep. So, especially in regards, say, to Victor Radley uh, in last night's game where he's... Uh, Un- unfairly treated. Unfairly treated, is that twice, what you're saying? <laughs> twice <laughs> he put in the bid and twice on report. Yes. Um, so... And they're obviously for all what they call high contact um, tackles. Yep. So those four to me, and I'm only a layman in this, it, it, to me that shows that's what they're being taught as tackling. They're trying to get the ball and all, and they're trying to get that. So if you miss it by just a little bit in this day and age with the new way they're interpreting the rules, obviously we're getting so many more people going off and getting reported. Well, that's it. And, and that's the same thing when you see guys, you know, we see, you know, a, a whole lot of blokes doing their pectoral muscles, um, you know, tearing biceps, and that's all part of the tackle technique that guys are using now. Um, it's you know, for a lot of blokes, it's a, it's a, it's almost like a catching motion. Um, so when you actually come up and get into someone, and you really want to put a big shot on, um, margin for error is so small, given where you're trying to um, to make that collision. That you know, James Tedesco, as a point of example, um, slips over a lot. Um, he slips over a lot because he doesn't wear. Um, you know, long studs in his boots because, you know, previously he's done his knee. Um, so now he always wears, you know, just normal size studs on his boots, which means he slips over a lot. Um, yeah. Now he falls into tackles quite a lot of the time. And, and you're talking, you know, fractions of a second um, to get your timing wrong um, and to end up making that collision with someone's head. So, look, I, I, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I, I don't know how they, how they get around it um, yeah. because they, they certainly can't. I heard... Um, you know, I can't remember who it was that said it the other day, but it's it's one hundred percent right that you. I think it was Todd Payton or or Josh Hannay saying that, you know, you're trying to get guys to to change their tackle technique that they've been working on for years um, and expecting them to change it within within a week. Yeah. You know. Um, well, and that's that's fair to say, isn't it? That and if they're going to keep those rules in, then there's going to have to be a reset on how tackling is is taught and and coached. Most definitely, and and but but that has to come in with, um, I think, a way of rewarding people for a different type of tackling because at the moment um if you if you do a low a low tackle or you do even like a you know a traditional old sort of sink and drive kind of tackle you don't get rewarded because the opposition plays up he's on his feet he's playing the ball and your defensive line's scattered yep 
Um, yeah. So what they have to address, there has to be, you know, I guess a multiple approach to this rather than just saying, well, change your tackle tech and everything's going to be rosy. Well, no, because you, you, everything you change, you also create another issue or other problems. And, and that's the other thing that people have to be mindful of. Yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, that's that's been shown, hasn't it, the last two weeks? I mean, you can't, go, you can't go high anymore. And then suddenly, you know, people just keep rolling off and keep going faster with the ball. Yeah. And, yep. yeah. Um, so, well, I mean, you've got a lot more experience. In fact, seeing as my total experience of rugby league is one school game, um, you've got a lot more experience of that in playing and coaching. So I know that because of that, you can see both sides of the argument. But... Um, is your opinion going forward, is this something that will end up being good for rugby league or is it just going to create more problems going forward? I think if they can, obviously, um, removing people getting hit in the heads, good for the game because people not getting hit in the head means, you know, less injuries, less long-term issues with, you know, concussions and all the things that we're, we're aware of that's happening, you know, all over the world in sport. Um, it's not just confined to rugby league. It's, you know, the, we know about the legal issues that NFL's dealing with. Um, increasingly, they're, they're, um, the head knocks are emerging from soccer with heading the ball. Um, you know, there's a whole, it's affecting every sport. Um, and I, I think that part of it is a, is a good thing if we're going to eradicate that. The issue, I guess, for the game longer term is can we get the consistency right? So, you know, people can have faith that if it's, if it's you know, any contact made with the head or neck, then it's this penalty. You know, whatever that penalty might be, whether it's a sim being a send-off, whatever they're going to make it. Um, you know, I know obviously Rugby Union went through it a couple of years ago, which was, you know, problematic at the time. But and, and it is frustrating, I guess, in Rugby Union that, you know, even for the, the a minor a minor sort of touch on the on the head or neck, a glancing blow, if you like, they're, um, you know, they're immediately off the field. Um, but if that's where we have to go to, um, it just has to be consistent. I think, you know, we've seen over the last two weeks, um, what happened in, in the games in Brisbane were very different to what's been happening in the games this weekend. Yeah. Um, and until we get the consistency right, um, I think that's going to continue to be a bugbear of fans. And I've got to be honest, you know, two weeks ago, rugby league was the most enjoyable to watch that it has been in, in a long time. Um, with the changes they've made, I think between last weekend and this weekend, it's um, quite off-putting to watch it. Um, very frustrating. Yep, that seems to be a popular opinion. Steve, mm. thanks for joining me today, and uh, I hope that you'll uh, look for, you'll uh, allow me to contact you in the future and, and go down this path once again. No worries at all, mate. I'm actually uh, getting ready for a uh, schoolboy carnival as we speak. Excellent. So looking forward to uh, picking a New South Wales 18 CHS team. Fantastic. Make <laughs> sure they, just make yeah. sure they tackle low, okay? <laughs> all right. Cheers, thanks, Steve. Bill. Good on you. Thanks a lot. Bye. Now, here is the weekly wrap-up. Yes, well, following all that, it's uh, it's time for the weekend wrap and we can have a little bit of a look, see what happened on the weekend. And, for instance, uh, both teams were showing up for what they had to offer in Thursday's clash between the Cowboys and the Knights. The Cowboys bolted to a 16-0 lead and looked as though they were going to dominate the match before both Jason Tomalolo and Lachlan Burr were sin-binned for high tackles. Surprise, surprise. Leaving the Cowboys with 12 players for 10 minutes and 11 players for 6 minutes. At which point Newcastle levelled the scores at 16-all. And then Newcastle led 20-16 five minutes into the second half. But with teams back at 13 aside, the Cowboys went back into try-scoring mode and added four more to run out 36-20 to 20 victors. Um, yes. 
<laughs> the Knights' absolute lack of awareness when they were playing against 11 men was telling, deciding to run the ball straight up the guts instead of going to the wings. And the Cowboys showed that when they're on song, they are probably still a finals contender in 2021. The Central Coast Warriors came away with a well-deserved victory against the Tigers at Gosford on Friday evening, especially as they too had 12 men for a 20-minute period during the second half, at which point they kept the Tigers to just two penalty goals. An interesting decision, that. Warriors led 18-10 at halftime, but they were down 18-20 before two tries in five minutes gave them the winning margin. The Tigers, again, just absolutely failed to take their opportunities, while the Warriors this week at least finished on the right side of the bounce of the ball. The Sharks and Dragons game was one that deserved to go to Golden Point simply because neither team played well enough to beat the other. And <laughs> quite literally, neither side deserved to win. It was the perfect example of why the Sharks are struggling this season. While the Dragons, playing with a third of their first choice team, can probably blame Corey Norman for not putting the opponents away long before it came to that final kick. His kicking was, quite literally, atrocious not even getting near the post, and his two attempts at at game-winning field goals both failed to deliver. When the Dragons miss the finals this season, and they probably will, they can look at all of the suspensions and injuries and all that kind of stuff, or they can look at this game as their biggest missed opportunity. Another game that uh, showcased the relative downsides of both clubs was the Gold Coast against Canterbury match. The Titans have been hoping to improve this season, but against the team running dead last, they failed to ever put them away in a manner that befit a team on the improve. Yes, they were better, but at 24-20 until the 77-minute mark of the match, they were still in danger of having the match stolen from them. Those basic flaws remain to the Titans' defence that will continue to haunt their attempt at reaching finals. While the Bulldogs, again, have moments where you can almost believe they are going to finally do a manly and step out of this malaise. Unfortunately, they have lost the ability to seal wins that are close enough to taste. And the weekend's match was yet another example of this. The game that turned a lot of people off watching any more NRL for the whole weekend came in the Roosters-Brisbane match. Everyone thought it would be a cakewalk for the Roosters, and that is notwithstanding their injury toll at the moment. Brisbane was flattened 50-6 to last weekend at home, and yeah, simply there was no way that they could travel to the SCG and beat the Roosters. None. And even when they led at 16-14 at half-time, it really did feel as though it was only a matter of time before the Roosters exerted their dominance and took on the match and wiped the Broncos out of the game. But several things intervened. Firstly, the Roosters absolutely did not play at their best no matter whether there were excuses for that or not. The Broncos completed their position at 93% to the Roosters' 74%. And the lopsided 10-5 penalty count to Brisbane all seemed to come at times that fell in the Broncos' favour. And the constant stoppages throughout over high tackles and crusher tackles was, in the end, game-destroying. Not only was the momentum of the match constantly halted, There was the obvious distress of players and supporters as the decisions were agonised over by the bunker and the on-field officials before passing on the bad news to the players involved. 
For one player in Victor Radley to not only be reported and sin bin twice in the one game, but to then also cop a further two reportings on the same night, it just shows what a massive change is happening in rugby league. And as Steve touched on earlier, it is going to change forever how rugby league approaches a number of things. Apart from this, the number of forward passes that went unpunished in this game alone was startling, and is something that was mentioned in this podcast a couple of weeks ago. There were three blatant offside forward passes by Brisbane, one of which led directly to a try, and two others that led indirectly to tries. Then to completely piss off the home crowd was the icing on the cake, an East try was called back for what was a correctly called forward pass. So, the Broncos eventually got away to win the match 34-16 in a massive upset, one which the club and supporters heralded as the start of the comeback for 2021. Pretty sure every other club's supporters saw it for the debacle that it was, and wondered just what was going to happen during the week, and indeed into next week's matches. Did the Roosters deserve to win? To be honest, it's a hard question to answer given what occurred through the match. They hadn't played well, but were they worse than Brisbane given the positive possession they had retained? I simply don't know. But I won't lie that listening to the outrage that spewed forth from Rooster supporters on social media on Saturday evening was more entertaining than the game that provoked it all. The Raiders continued to wallow in a mire much more potent than the one some of the other clubs in their situation are facing. After leading 10-0 early against the Premiers at Bruce Stadium, and only behind by 10-12 to 12 at half-time, they failed to show up for the second half and were taught an absolute lesson by the Storm, who eventually won in comfort by 34-10. to 10. Both teams were down on first-choice personnel, but the Storm weathered it the best and continue to again make their run at the Premiership well under the radar. At Dubbo, Penrith became the second team to put 50-plus points on the Rabbitohs this season, careering away to a 56-12 demolition of the team, still running fourth in the competition. Matt Burton must be wondering just how exciting next year will be at the Bulldogs after scoring a hat-trick at his childhood home ground, while Nathan Cleary racked up another 28 points to his season's tally. It was the Panthers' 11th consecutive victory, and perhaps... Only Origin can now stop them from progressing throughout through undefeated in 2021. The crowing from the social media hawks grew louder on Sunday Arvo as Parramatta suffered their second defeat of the season, going down to a resurgent and highly motivated Manly team by 28-6. Can anyone else barely believe this is the same team that started the season for the Seagulls, where they looked like headless chooks on the field and a season that was over before it started? Is it just the return of Tom Trebojevic from Midri that has turned this all around? Can one player be such a difference to the energy and spark and amazing footy of a team? As much as you would say no, this manly revival suggests otherwise. The Eels started okay, but were nowhere near inspired enough to get close to the Seagulls on the day. Para has been on the verge of a defeat like this for a while, and again it comes back to how they play when their opponents stick it to them. The next question for the Sea Eagles is, how will they cope during the origin period? But what's happening next week? Alrighty, make or break time on the uh, tips this weekend. Surely I can pull out an 8 for 8 for you. Broncos take on the Storm up there at uh, 
Suncourt Stadium on Thursday night. This is the easiest game of the weekend to pick. If the Storm don't win this by 50, you'd be very, very surprised. I don't care what anyone thinks about Broncos. I don't care what the Broncos think about the Broncos. <laughs> no chance. None. My goodness. Friday 6 o'clock game is the Cowboys against the Warriors up there at Townsville. Uh, both teams on the improve-ish. Both teams are looking to break into that top eight. Cowboys sitting 10th and Warriors 9th at the moment. Uh, I think at home the Cowboys will be too good and the Warriors seem to be a, a one-week-on, one-week-off proposition at the moment, so it's probably their turn for the week off. The 8 o'clock game on Friday, well, isn't this going to draw in the fans? The Tigers against the Dragons up there at Bankwest Stadium. So we're playing a game at nowhere near anyone's home ground and uh, the Tigers are quite literally terrible. Uh, the Dragons... Well, they should have won last weekend, and they're still going to be down on personnel this weekend. Oh, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to pick a, Let's go for a draw at the end of uh, extra time, because neither team can kick a field goal either. Saturday afternoon, uh, this will be a beauty. Uh, the first place Panthers are up against the 16th place Bulldogs, and that's out of Penrith Stadium. Uh, be some interesting combinations going on here, former... Assistant coach Trent Barrett returns to the Panthers. Uh, Matt Burton is playing for the Panthers, but he's playing for the Bulldogs next year. Should be fun and games for everybody. Panthers by about 80. Uh, Saturday twilight game, as they call them in the AFL, but the 5.30 game, the Rabbitohs against the Eels, which is probably going to be, on the table at least, the biggest game of the weekend. But both teams suffered Pretty heavy losses last weekend, and that means that uh, one of them is going to have two losses in a row, which is going to hurt their position on the table. Um, it's out there at uh, Stadium Australia. Can can the Rabbitohs come back from that thumping from last weekend? Can the Eels find a spark? It'll be interesting. If the Rabbitohs go hard at the Eels through the forwards, they will win this game. If they don't do that, then they're going to get beaten. I'm going to go with the Rabbitohs by 16. Saturday night, the Roosters up against the Raiders. And the Raiders, this is the last of their five games where they really needed to win three out of the five and they have failed to do that. The Roosters will be down on personnel uh, depending on what happens at the Tribunal tonight. And they've still got lots of injuries. The Raiders aren't too much better, can the Raiders travel to Gosford and beat the Roosters? Well, on current form, the answer to that is no. So they probably will. Uh, Raiders by two. Sharks take on Titans in the Sunday 2 o'clock game. Um, this is another terrible game. Two teams who are just not playing attractive football at all and not utilising any sort of skill in their play. Uh, it's being played at Coffs Harbour, probably because it's the only place in Australia that anyone would go to watch this game. I'm, you've got to go with the Titans. The Titans have got more to lose than the Sharks at the moment, so the Titans really need to pick up their game, win this game, and set themselves up for a run for the semi-finals this season. If they can't win this game, they can't make semis. And the final game is the Knights 
are playing the Seagulls there at McDonald Jones Stadium at Newcastle. And on all current form indicators, the Eagles, Sea Eagles, should win this very comfortably and um, continue there. They climb up the ladder. Seeing of the ladder, let's have a look. So far, we have the Panthers unbeaten, 22 points. The Storm have moved into second place on percentage uh, with 18 points. After Parramatta's loss on the weekend, they are also on 18 points. The Rabbitohs, after their pummeling, are still in fourth spot outright on 16 points. Just shows that how dominant those top four teams have been, that they can still, two of them can still lose games and still be in the positions they're in. The Roosters sitting 5th on 14th, which again is quite amazing with the run that they're having. Um, so if you look at the fact that you know they've lost the game on the weekend the way they did, which they'd be disappointed with for a number of reasons, the fact that they're still 5th and still so close to the top 4, which is where you want to finish, uh, I think at the moment the coaching staff would be happy enough, uh, all things considered. Seagulls have jumped into sixth spot on their own on 12 points, and with uh, the big possibility of winning this game on the weekend against the Knights, they every chance of making it to fifth spot. They're on the charge. And the Dragons are still in seventh, and the Titans in eighth, both on 10 points, alongside the Warriors and the Cowboys, also on 10 points. All four of those teams sitting from seventh to 10th, uh, none of them overly convincing. Maybe the Cowboys are the most convincing of those four at the moment. The Raiders sit in 11th spot on 8 points, and who would have predicted that at the start of the season? They're also alongside the Knights, who that probably gives you a pretty fair indication of how poorly the Raiders are travelling when they're equal on points with the Knights, who, apart from the first 10 minutes of the season, have not looked good at all. The Sharks and the West Tigers and the Broncos, all on 6 points, and all pretty much as bad as each other, despite the Broncos' victory on the weekend. And the Bulldogs, all on their lonesome, on two points. And two games back from the 15th place Broncos. How are they going to get away with not securing that wooden spoon this season? I don't know. And now, here is Bill with his afterword. I saw Bob Fulton at the end of his playing career, most notably as a member of the Manly team that defeated Parramatta in the 1976 Grand Final and then for his so-called traitorous years at Eastern Suburbs. The adults around me in those years told me how good a player he had been, and his record would be proof of that. He was named as one of the four original Immortals, and coached Australia for almost a decade through the tumultuous Super League War, and all the way through that 1990s period, as well as Manly on two separate periods. He was one of those towering pillars of the game in the years as I grew up, and I immersed myself in the game of rugby league. He carried himself with a purpose, a position of importance, of being a person of influence, whether it had been as a player or a coach, at club or state or international level. Publicly, however, he came across as cranky and irascible and cantankerous, often more so when things had not gone the way he had expected. It is not unlike most of the high-level coaches today, Bennett, Bellamy, Stewart. And no one will ever forget his I hope he gets run over by a cement truck quote in regards to referee Bill Harrigan after another game that Manly had lost. 
His influence in the game in Australia is enormous and perhaps incalculable. Between 1966 and 1998, he played and coached at the highest level the game has in Australia. He was a grand final winning player and coach. He played on two kangaroo tours and he coached the final two kangaroo tours of 1990 and 1994. I expect Manly would have defeated Parramatta on the weekend no matter what, but the extra leg that the Sea Eagles grew to ensure that they would defeat their historic rival on the day of his passing no doubt helped a great deal in the final result. Bozo's timing, as was so often the case in his life, seemed perfect to the very end. Bob Fulton loses us at the age of 73, though his legacy to Australian International Rugby League to the domestic competition which he fought to keep from falling apart in the mid-1990s, and to his beloved Manly Waringa Sea Eagles, will no doubt continue. This has been In League with the NRL, and if you are of a mind to do so, I look forward to your company again next week, probably from the Sinbin.